Okay, let's do this thing. Wait, what are we talking about? <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. It's No Driving Gloves. It's amazing. We're we're on a roll here. We're a couple of weeks in a row, and we still have all three hosts. It, Plus one. And we have a special guest. Nice job ruining it, Will. I sit it's here. not ruined yet. Nobody knows who's, who it is. But obviously, you've heard everybody. Derek and Will are here. We've got a guest joining us here in a minute or two. We'll, we'll all wrap up, and we'll let him jump in, too. Uh, Scotty D from Scotty D TV. Pretty popular YouTube channel out there. We'll let him do some of the specs. Like, if I would have prepped for this darn show, I would have probably told you, what, three-quarter million subscribers or so? Or I, I can't remember your subscriber count or whatever. I wish I wish <laughs> it was three-quarters of a million. It's 160,000 subscribers. The number that yeah. is really hard for me to wrap my mind around, and you got to know I've lived this, but it's still really hard for me to wrap my mind around, is probably in the next week or so we're going to go over 100 million views. And it took two years to get the first million views. And now we get about a million a month. But to get a channel and build it to the point where you get a hundred million views, to think somebody has seen me say, Hey, you all a hundred million times is just, it's really hard to wrap your mind around. Yeah. I, I would love to sit down and pick your brain about kind of like we did with uh, Tony Watley a couple of weeks ago about uh, YouTube and how to create a YouTube channel and, Things like that, because I know everybody seems to be into that. But we got to remember, we're a car podcast, not a business podcast, and we're going to stick straight to the uh, the car stuff tonight. So, how are you? How is uh the other two doing out there? How are you doing, Derek or Will? Man, we've had a pretty crazy week here at the shop. You know, the final things to do to the dart before it goes off to uh, Barrett Jackson, which happened today, this morning. Uh, we loaded it up and left, and. Uh, yeah, we shared that video on Facebook. We shared your your Facebook video. So there we go. I appreciate that. Scotty's obviously in town. Um, we're building him a 2005 Denali. Um, that's going to be pretty crazy. Six liter twin turbo, good suspension, all new custom interior, um, all wheel drive. Yeah, all wheel drive. It's gonna have a crazy wrap on it. Nate's doing for us. He's actually coming in. That's one of the reasons I'm here now, is because they're gonna ready to wrap it up for us this weekend. So now we're really excited about that. And then all the other normal stuff going on too. So it's been a pretty, pretty crazy week. It's not slowing down anytime soon. D Rock, what about you? Normal day, different tie. Yeah, what? A, yeah, different tie today. Sorry, guys. Now things are going. Uh, things are going good. Um, work's getting crazy. I think I mentioned it on the podcast before that. Uh, you know, this year is going to be hectic. We got some exhibit changes going on. We're uh, we're renovating one of the the main galleries. Kind of the first exhibit area you walk through is completely demoed right now. So it's a little uh, little crazy at work, but it's going to be a good exhibit. You know, uh, as we're recording this, the uh, United States government decided to uh, shut down a few weeks ago. And uh, needless to say, I have a, a NASA exhibit that's supposed to be installed uh, this week. And, uh, yeah, those crates haven't shown up yet because uh, NASA's a government agency that's not really doing anything right now. So, <laughs> you know, it's all good. I didn't, even, good. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't mean to laugh. No, I've been laughing all week, so come on. <laughs> no, we got it's it's kind of cool though because you know we're it's collaborative, so they've got 
part of the exhibit they're sending. We, you know, we've brought in some loan items to, you know, add to it. So I actually brought in three of the, what are known as the astronaut Corvettes. So we've got Alan Shepard's Corvette. We've got, uh, Alan Bean's Corvette and Al Warden's Corvette, three astronauts from Mercury and Apollo missions. And uh, we also brought in uh, Betty Skelton's uh, personally owned 1965 Corvette. A lot of people don't know, you know, although she was a a, a famous aviator, you know, Corvette uh, advertising. She worked for Campbell Ewald, also, you know, raced Corvettes and other cars. Uh, She actually trained with the Mercury 7 and was nicknamed Mercury 7 and a half. So she's really technically the first woman to ever go through astronaut training. Kind of a cool little side story there. So as soon as NASA can ship us some crates with some other cool stuff in it, uh, we'll have one heck of an exhibit. You know, so you guys call your congressmen and all those people and maybe, you know, try to get the government reopened. I'd appreciate it. <laughs> I, I look at it as a marketing thing. You guys plan this. You're going to have the grand opening and debut and all these people are going to come spend money in your cafeteria see the museum, see half an exhibit, and then when you get the rest of it, you're going to do it again and get them back there twice. I like the marketing. I, I like the marketing. The I, should pitch, I, I should pitch that. You know, We hadn't thought of it that way. I wanted to ask you, I read something today, and I, I Googled it, so it's on like 18 different websites, so I'm assuming you can say something about this. If you can't, just roll your eyes about it. I'm gonna sit, and it's not about the mid-engine Corvette this time. What? <laughs> What's w- with this front-wheel drive '79 Corvette that was donated to you guys? Do you have it yet? Can you tell us anything about it? Or <laughs> have you not watched more Mondays? More? Have you not watched the most recent episode of More Mondays? I, I, I do a front wheel drive. I do a front wheel drive burnout in a Corvette. See, I'm plugging more Mondays for you. But honestly, <laughs> I only watch more Mondays when um, the, the when it was interesting. When we get more publicity on more Facebook pages about no driving tips. <laughs> for some reason, they don't ever come up on my Facebook. I never get any. Because I would watch them. I get uh, some things about more Mondays, but you ever notice that the I can Google search anything on Amazon and, or search for anything, and it shows up in everything on my Facebook feed, but I get <laughs> zero notifications about the Barber Museum. You know, our social media department's <laughs> kind of working a little bit harder and doing two or three posts a day. Instagram and Facebook, nah, they may as well not exist. Like, I'm never there. <laughs> so, And I'm not doing... A lot with work. I mean, uh, we're trying to still wrap up some things. Um, uh, Road and Track Lotus 11 from 1956 restoration. You can almost put the uh, final bolt in it. It was running around the park today. So six months from the time it arrived to basically a fully restored running driving car as it appeared on the cover of Road and Track in 1956. I think I'm allowed to say that. If not, too bad. And we're trying to do the wrap-up details on the Lotus uh, Mark 10. That's a couple-year restoration, but technically about the same time, May or June of this year, we decided color change, frame color change, everything. So it was basically anything that had done was done, had to come back apart, be repainted, resprayed. And we're just doing the final little details and wrap-ups there. 
and then we'll go through the ordeal of making it run because it's this Connaught 1.5 liter dual underhead cam motor that none of us in the shop have ever worked with and that Wilson pre-selector transmission that none of us in the shop have ever worked with. So there will be a lot of learning to getting it run, getting it tuned, you know, dual distributors, uh, cam timing we never dealt with before. It's going to be an interesting process to make this car move, but we're really looking forward to it. It's the only one on the planet and only Lotus Mark 10 that was ever built this way, one of five. And the last one was a pretty enjoyable car with its Bristol 6, and this one's just a little bit different. So that kind of wraps up our thing. Uh, I think Scotty touched on a little bit of what he was doing this week. Uh, anything else you want going on for you, Scotty, that you want to tell our listeners? I know you're there... Uh, you know, supervising or checking in on the build that Big Oak's doing for you. And I saw the headliner on Facebook today. Yeah, like I tell them, they, uh, oh, I, I, come, I, I come to put a few hours in. I said, I hope I don't cost them hours. But at the end of the day, they don't let me do anything important anyhow. They just look at me and say, can we afford that? And, and yay or nay on whether we can do that. But no, I'm really excited about it. It's one of those deals where me and Jimmy and Will were just riding around at the Pigeon Forge Rod Run, and we'd been talking about what would work and you know i do follow a lot of old muscle cars and stuff like that and we've talked about that but you know it has to be reliable you have to get in it and put a key in it and drive it everywhere and you got to be able to get it fixed when it breaks down on the road and i was like you know i just don't know that'll work for me so i pitched this idea to will last time and he was like yeah i think that would be cool and then <laughs> at the time i thought it was in my budget but <laughs> in the last few days i'm not so sure welcome so, to big oak garage yeah right? will's got great ideas i just don't have the money to keep up with the ideas no we're real excited about that coming out in 2019 of course uh the first big show we're going to cover will be detroit and uh, i'm always looking forward to detroit we had a heck of a job out in sema shot 56 videos out in sema in uh five days so really hustled out there and we've got some really cool stuff coming to get us through until Detroit. And then of course we always look forward to the fresh builds that are going to be at Detroit. And then once that happens, we're back into the normal season. And uh, we usually cover, I don't know, 15, 17 shows a year or something like that. But right now looking forward to the, to the, the SSUV getting done. And of course, always looking forward to get going to Detroit, not so much the weather, but we do look forward to walking into Kobo and seeing all those builds. And I was born and raised around a shop, you know, around this stuff. So for me, like grandma's apple pie is the same kind of thing as when I go into Detroit and I feel, smell all those fresh solvents and all that, you know, because those guys are putting those things together in the display booth <laughs> on, on Thursday night. They're still bolting parts, buffing. I bet you if you go out in a trailer, somebody's out there spraying in the trailer, still painting stuff. You know? say you hear the little micro compressors and the airbrush. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, I, I they open the back door, and you're not surprised if three or four dudes don't just come walking out of the back of the trailer because they've been working on it since Wisconsin. You know, we, little uh, little story on the dart that I haven't really told that many times, but um, the dart was in Cobo Hall, up on stands. The display was done, and the interior was not in the trunk. Interior was still in Oaks Bluff. The interior was still, still that's right. Was still in the interior of the trunk was still in Alabama getting finished. 
And Jimmy couldn't even come with the rest of the group because he had to stay back so he could get the interior, the rest of the interior, and bring it to Detroit the next day. That's right. Yeah. So that's just not – he's not alone, though. That's just Detroit. Yeah, I mean, that's just Detroit. And, uh, you know, it's no fault to uh, Wayne and Pam that done the interior. It's no fault to the guys that, you know, worked on it. It's just, you know, I mean, we needed another day. If you and, if you had gave them another day, guys, they would have taken another week. If you gave them another week, they'd have taken another month. I tell these guys the only reason the good thing about car shows is it makes them wrap a car up. Because if there was no car shows, hell, they'd have fifty year builds out there. They'd be like, I've been working on this fifty years. It's still not right, <laughs> you know. And you got some poor sucker out there that's been writing checks forever, right? He's days is it inks run out of his pen from writing checks. And these guys are still not happy because, I mean, at this level, the level that, that Big Oak is at, and, you know, if you're going to go into Detroit with a real chance to win a grade eight or a Riddler award, um, you can't be finished. You can't be satisfied. You never can be. You have to look at everything. Even if you get the highest award, you still have to look at it and go, we can do better next time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that a lot of people watch these TV shows and they see the guys joking around and having fun in a shop and all that, and they don't realize that, Man, this business, there's a lot of stress, you know, um, to make those decisions on when to call it quits. And, you know, when you get somebody, a client in, none of these clients come in expecting to spend what they're spending. None of them. I, even if, listen, if a guy comes in and says, I got a million dollars to spend on a car, he's going to spend 1.5 to two before he leaves. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what kind of budget you give them. They're going to take it to the max and they're going to have ideas beyond that. Yeah, I was, I was listening to a podcast today and they were talking about a Porsche restoration and talking to the guy or the conversation went. And I said, they go, how much do you have into it? He goes, I don't know. But when we started, I had no budget and we blew it out of the water. So <laughs> there you go. There you that's, go. that's exactly right. It's a good way to look at that. And even on even on a budget build like we're doing here, because obviously we're not doing a lot of fab work and that kind of stuff. Still, I mean, we're going to be we're going to be over budget. And um, because, you you know, you when you're planning something out, all you think is the big things. You know, you don't think of seventeen hundred dollars in aluminum tubing to make turbos work. You know, you think I'm going to buy the turbos. So you go and look at turbos and you're like, well, I can buy two for fifteen hundred bucks. I can't be that far away from getting this whole thing done. Only to find out that the turbos were the cheap part of it, and you know it's going to be another three grand on top of that. You know, fifteen hundred dollars for a fuel system to support twin turbos. Yeah, that's you know you don't think of that. You don't think you don't think well the whole fuel line's got to come out just because we need an eighth inch bigger fuel line because that one won't work. Well, you, you, even though those are kind of the big parts, the things people forget about is the fifteen hundred, three thousand dollars, and just basic grade five nuts and bolts that go into a build. Little, sure. you know, little things like that or, oh, you know, a hundred dollars in masking tape, you know, just just to paint the parts, not to paint the whole car, just to paint all the little bits that go into the bit, build. Little little things like that. Just that's where you're right. Those numbers creep up and it just never occurs to anybody that, oh, why is it so expensive? And then when you sit down and you look at these really itemized bills uh, which some shops put out. I've never seen one from Big Oak. Uh, Will keeps trying to give me the opportunity to receive his bills, but I, I have yet to take him up on that. But I've, you know, I've seen some bills, and when I was at White Post years ago, our bills were, you know, and it told you exactly what was used. You know, how much masking tape, how much. Okay, the owner of that place is a little bit cheap. We'd bill you for the little brown lunch bags we put parts in. You know, you get them, you buy them by the hundred and. 
I can't remember. Huh. We charge fifteen bucks for those, but it, you know, it just all that's, the all the little stuff adds up. I just I just gave you a bill right there. <laughs> and I'll put it in the stacker. I don't pay bills. That's the <laughs> see. Now you lo- you showed me a big number, and I we're just talking about we're just t- talking about how you get lost in one of these builds, exactly, and, and that's exactly what happened. He shows me a big bill, and I get lost. Right, <laughs> that happens on this show a lot. We start talking and just get lost. <laughs> and see, Derek oh. Derek does all his own work, so he's not familiar with no. any of this stuff. I grew up in a restoration shop. <laughs> that's what my dad does for a living. Oh, so so you grew up broke like me, right? Uh, pretty much, yeah. Yeah, yep. He did, take- and I also and I also grew up in that that same situation that you know it seems like a lot of shop guys are in, and and you know I've I've always tried to figure it out, and I, I never can get my dad to fully explain it. There's something about you know we. Only a few of our cars are done. You know, the Chevelle, the 66 Chevelle, the 74 GTO we sold off got done. But, you know, we've got the Marmons, you know, going and kind of almost done and so on and so forth. But there, he always says something. And I, I, it's like foreign language or something. Customers come first. I, I don't understand that. <laughs> yeah, I'm building my best friend a damn car and not building me one. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Just, well, what is that? <laughs> oh his business is you have to though you have to these this level of client is used to having their every whim taken care of and oh, yeah. so i so it's more than just bringing somebody in and building them a cool car you know i mean you got to become friends and family with them you're going to spend two and three years with them and um like i say and not only that every friday you're going to be sending them a love letter they're not going to want to get um, it's very easy to sit around a table, have a few beers or whatever your passion is and talk about how cool it would be to do something and then get started. And that's when the fun stops. You know, it's like from there, it's work and spending money and neither side really likes either. So um, it's a you know, it's a real fine line. You have to work with with building these cars to make sure that you keep your clients interested and try to keep their budget and their ideas in line. Because that's the biggest problem, even with myself. I spend a lot of time around this, but I admitted to Will, I don't know how much some of this stuff costs. I'm embarrassed to think that I could get it for something that I thought I could, only to find <laughs> out, no, nah, you can't, you know? So I think that, it, and I'm around it all the time. And a lot of these people, like I tell people, there's more money and more talent in this industry than there ever has been. But a lot of the money that's coming into our custom industry now is not car guys. You know, it's, um. well, I'm trying to think something family-friendly way to put it. Um. It's a contest, for a lack of a better term. It's a contest on, you know, people I see, with YouTube, you know, you have a younger following on YouTube. So you'll put up a car. Somebody will ask how much it's in it. And I'll tell them, I don't know. I'd guess $750,000. They're like, well, I'd buy three Lamborghinis if I had that kind of money. I said, the problem is with that, you'd have the fourth Lamborghini in the neighborhood, right? Because everybody has a Lamborghini. I said, but if you go out and spend a half million dollars on a 69 Camaro, chances are there ain't going to be another one pull up next to you like that. And that's where it starts. One one rich dude gets one, and then his buddy's got to have one. Now, his buddy's not going to use the same shop that his buddy used because he's got to go find a shop better than him. So you turn into this whole competition thing, and even rich dudes can get into a position where um, 
well, look, that dude that bought the Batmobile two years ago and didn't have the money out at Barrett Jackson, whatever he paid $4.4 million for the, for the uh, Batmobile. And then he didn't have the money. They had to, they had to back that deal up. So, you know, you can get yourself into a situation where, uh, you can get lost, you know, and then we're all men. So we're all sitting around. I was talking to them today. It's like, there's four of us sitting here, four guys sitting here. Who wants to admit they're broke? Who wants to admit that they don't have it? And I'm sitting with four friends. If I'm a client, you know, and I've told you to build me a half, half a million dollar car. Well, I'm not going to complain about $70,000. You know, if that's what a motor is, that's what it is. Get it for me. But the problem is, is then when it gets to be $800,000 at the end, because it's not just an overrun on a motor and even people with big pockets start to tighten up, you know, and somehow you have to get them through that. So there's a big process to building these cars. Like I said, it's not done like it's done on TV, folks. That is, uh, that is definitely not the way it's done. Uh, there's two ways I can go with that story to carry it on. And uh, when I was at a previous restoration shop, we'd usually sit down with the client and we know what the car is that he's talking about. And the technician would sit in on these little meetings and we'd be in the conference room and you'd lay out the contract and everything with the client. And for sake of math, we'll say our labor rate was $100 an hour. And you had to provide a $20,000 deposit, let's say. And they go, oh, okay, we can we can do that. $100 an hour, $20,000 deposit. Um, will we get will we get a ch- will we get change when we're done with the bill? <laughs> and, and no, you might get three or four more bills. Oh, why? Well, if you remember earlier in the conversation, we told you that while we won't give you an estimate, we'll pretty much guarantee you you'll have 2,000, 2,500 hours into the car. And you knew right then and there who was actually going to be able to finish the car in a productive manner, who was going to take a break. Because if you can't multiply 100 by 2,000 and know you got 200 grand in labor before you ever bought parts, and we're only asking for a $20,000 deposit, you should know you're going to get a minimum of 12 more bills. And it, it was just always interesting to watch these people. And sure enough, you know, some of them, not a problem. They knew it. They wouldn't ask that change question. Or they would be, oh, it, it's it's just a, you know, it's just an 81 Chevy pickup. Doesn't matter. An 81 Chevy pickup takes just as much work as a 32 or 38, or excuse me, 30 Duesenberg, it's, you know, the parts might cost a little bit more. It's just the return on the investment's a lot better on the Duesenberg, but the work's the same. People just don't ever follow or understand or do that math. And it's so sad and heartbreaking to see people that, you know, don't comprehend it. And you, you try to tell them, but like Scotty's saying, a lot of times you're dealing with, you know, wealthy people or people that think they're wealthy and I've been there's been numerous times that I've been in conversations and guys flown in on his private jet to look at a restoration and you know, I just have a phenomenal amount of money in this car. You started with a bad car. We told you not to start with this car. We told you not to do this. And we try to guide you, but if you're insisting on doing it, you're insisting on doing it. And while I've perform, you know, scores of restorations to completion and got them out the door, you know, in the last 20, 25 years, I've probably seen more cars go home unassembled than I have assembled because people that thought they could afford it 
uh, that actually have decent incomes weren't able to do it. And, you know, like I said, Scotty's right. It becomes a, um, and there's really no family-friendly way of saying it, but it becomes a real real match trying to one-up the next guy and one-up the next guy and one-up the next guy. And at some point, you got to call it quits. And he, you know, I'll say he's also right. It's not that hard to go out and, you know, buy your third Lamborghini or whatever, but when everybody on the street has one, you know, it's going to go a little off topic, but that's going to be Tesla's problem here is, you know, the Audi e-tron comes out and the new Porsche, whatever they, their Taycan or whatever they're calling it, and some of these new electric cars come out. Tesla doesn't have anything to follow up the Model S. People are going to want another electric car. They've had their Tesla for the three-year lease, time to get something else, and everybody else on the street has a Tesla. So now Porsche, Audi, Mercedes are going to be able to step in with a new new car that's different, but it's still just as environmentally friendly in that. And it's, it you know, these guys want to be different. They don't want to have what the neighbor has. Um, you know, it's not a world of uh, Accords and Camrys. I'll tell you another thing. It's funny when you brought it up is I can't remember how or how many times people have said, I can't imagine having a half million dollars in a 69 Camaro or a million dollars in a 62 Impala. And it's like, would you, you know, would you rather have $40,000 in a car that's depreciating and, you know, whatever you go down to the GM dealer and you pay 56, my Yukon was $56,000 in 2005 and we paid, I don't know, 17 or 1800 bucks for it when, <laughs> when I bought it. And it was running, you know, it wasn't a wreck. It was running. So, you know, none of it doesn't, it, it, none of it makes any sense. If we had to make sense out of what we do, well, we ought to just pack up and go home because there is absolutely no sense to what we do. There's no real purpose for it outside of egos and having something different and having something cool. But as far as feeding your family or getting you to where you got to go or providing a necessity for you in life, these cars aren't going to do it. You know, they're not investments. They're not reliable. They're nothing but cool. You know, that's what a hot rod is. If you're buying cool and, um, Unfortunately, we all know you can't buy cool. You either got it or you don't. But there's a lot of people out there that try to buy it. And um, it's funny to see because, you know, you think, well, if I had his money, I wouldn't be worried about that. But then to see somebody with their money and they do worry about it, it's like, huh, no matter how much money you got, you're just like me. And at the end of the day, that's, you know, that's what you got. And then for whatever reason, it seems like the thing is now is that you build them and two years later, you run them through a sale somewhere. Man, my goodness, you talk about, you know, there's only one way to lose more money, and that is to take one home unfinished, because I think that that is probably the biggest loss of money. But the other next way is to haul off and take one to an auction, because, <laughs> you know, especially like a high-end Barrett-Jackson auction, you're not even going to be the coolest car there. You know, I mean, there's going to be cars that are one off and this, that, and the other thing. And unfortunately, too, I tell people that, you know, it, to build your own dream is rather expensive, but you can buy somebody else's dirt cheap. Well, and, we were talking about that last week, you know, as Will made the announcement that the dart was going to Barrett Jackson and looking at it. And you, you've, you've attended the auctions and watched them. And I know I'm talking to you, Scotty. I'm sure Will and Derek kind of pay attention to them. It's finally a point where the people are realizing that these builds at Big Oak Garage is done or you know, name your shop, whether it be, you know, Kindig or somebody on TV or 
just a good shop in the middle of Colorado. They build these things, and people put their $200,000, $400,000 into them. And finally, the resale market's beginning to realize what the value is. No, you're not going to—you put 500 into it, you're not going to get 500 back, but at least you're not going to get 55 for it anymore. You might get a hundred or a hundred and a quarter. Or you're going the the market's appreciating a little bit. And I mentioned last week to Will that somebody might come in and buy that dart that has went fifteen, sixteen thousand hours into it, and you know they they pick it up for twenty cents on the dollar or something for the build cost, and then they go out and then they put another hundred grand into it and have a completely different car, but on a very solid. All the metal work's done, all the custom stuff's done. You just change out this part, change out that part, and you've got a completely different car. But you're not starting with a you know rust free sixty two dart and having to change all the sheet metal, or excuse me, sixty five dart. It's just, I think the the market and the buyers are beginning to be aware of that. The buyers are out there. The people realize it. I guess I'm just happy to see that there are the people realizing and these cars are maintaining some value. But I would say 95% of our listeners, the money that goes into these and that um, is just incomprehensible. And you think it's crazy, but... I've always used the thought process because I went straight from college to a restoration shop that did, you know, half million, million dollar restorations right off the bat. Expenses proportionate to income. You know, if I make a hundred grand a year and I spend 30,000 on a car, I spent 30% of my income on a car. If I make 10 million a year and I spend 3 million on a car, I spent 30% of my income on a car. It's just, (laughs) you know, it all breaks down and goes back to it's what you have, what you enjoy. I don't question what anybody puts into a car. Derek and Will, you you guys have been really quiet. He's on vacation. I mean, you know, I I talk to Scotty every other day, you know, so, you know, I'm sure Derek's got something that uh, he would like to uh, ask Scotty about. Derek, you still with us? Ah, uh, crap. Was I supposed to prepare for this show? No. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, actually, I mean, we've got Scotty here. I mean, my, uh, you know, I've watched some of the, uh, some of the videos online from Scotty DTV, but, and maybe, maybe I missed something. You know, I haven't watched them all. I didn't go back and find your first one, but, and, and obviously you've said you, uh, you know, you, you kind of grew up uh, around the shop and stuff like that. I know you said you grew up around Toledo. That's right. Uh, you know, the three of us got together because John had some harebrained idea to start a podcast. But what kind of led you into starting Scotty DTV and and getting that whole thing going? That's that's kind of what I'm interested in because, like John said, you know, there's all the interest in YouTube videos right now and and that whole you know social media world that's out there. But what you got, you know, what kind of got you going? Was it just fell into it or was this kind of a, a <laughs> yeah, planned, was, planned existence? God put me on a planet nine years ago to be Scotty D and I've been Scotty D ever since. And that's what most people think. But no, I'm 52 years old. I hate to admit that because I know I look 30, but I'm 52 years old. And I was in the mortgage business for 25 years. I made good money in the mortgage business. I didn't think much of it, but I made good money at it. And uh, we went through a downturn. So I've 
ended up out of work. I was working in the oil and gas business, uh, leasing land. And a buddy of mine had a YouTube channel. Now, I've been doing this for going on nine years. So this would have been 11 years ago. He started a YouTube channel back when the kids owned it, YouTube, before Google bought it. One day he calls me and he knows I'm kind of bouncing around and all. He's like, hey, he said, uh, YouTube is being bought out by Google. And rumor is they're going to start running ads on these videos. And we're going to be able to make money by making videos. And I'm like, you know, this is 11 years ago. I'm just like, dude, really? I ain't got time for that. That's crazy kids with cameras. You know, I don't have no time for that. I don't know, maybe six months go by or something. And he gets his first check. So he calls me, hey, I got my first check. And it was no money. So I'm like, yeah, that's nice. You know, I mean, I pay more than that in the taxes in a week. So what am I going to do with that? Well, the next month he calls and tells me he's made a little more and then he's made a little more. And so then I'd gotten to the point where when I, now I've known this guy since I've been five years old. All right. I mean, we've been friends all of our life, but I'd gotten to the point where I didn't even want to answer the phone when he called because I knew he was going to talk to me about YouTube. That's how hard I was running from it. And so he did. He called me on a Saturday. I'll never forget this. He called me on a Saturday and I almost didn't answer the phone. But I was like, ah, you know, I'll answer it. I talked to him and finally out of frustration at the end of the phone call, I was like, all right, dude, whatever. I said, I'll come up with an idea and I'll let you know. So this is Saturday, Sunday morning. I'm not a morning person, but Sunday morning at eight o'clock, I woke up and sat up straight in bed and thought hot rods and cooking. Call it Scotty DTV. It's like, okay. So I called him a little bit later. I said, hey, what if I did a channel where I did, I like to cook too. I'm like, Will. And I said, uh, what if I did Hot Rods and Cooking and called Scotty DTV? He's like, oh, that'd be great, man. He said, I think that's perfect. So you, the nice thing about YouTube is you can actually go back to video one and see my very first video that I did. I had no idea what I was doing. So after a little time, I started out a local cruise in. And um, after a little time, I could see that the Hot Rods were getting more views than the cooking was. So I started focusing on the hot rods. I'd still do cooking videos, but really my drive was the hot rods to the point of where, like I said, I was telling you all earlier, you know, we did, we got almost a hundred million views, but it took two years to get the first million views. And back then you had to apply to YouTube to to get partner. So I applied twice. And when you applied and got denied, you had to wait three months before you could apply again. So I had applied twice and got denied. And then um, I applied the third time because I wasn't giving up. And um, sure enough, I got I got approved. And so, you know, we go through and it's exciting for the first few months because you're getting no money to begin with. You've been doing this for a while and not getting paid. And all of a sudden you can see, oh, wow, this month I'm going to get 63 bucks, you know. You know, we went through this whole thing and when I got it, I got it. You know, he was doing guns and girls. So, you know, um, girls shooting guns and a lot of times in bikinis and things like that. And at the time, he should have been killing me. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that was easy money because 14 year old boys, what do they like to look at? Girls and guns. That sounds good. So it was a no brainer on his end. But for me, I always told him and everybody I ran into, I said, man, you got to look at this as like YouTube is giving away TV stations. And had your grandparents got a TV station back when they started giving those away, you may be heir to ABC or Fox now, you know. And I told him, I even I remember preaching this to him. And anybody that would listen that was in YouTube, I said, listen, this is going in a way. And these advertisers are not going to put up with this craziness that you find on YouTube for the most part. I said, if it can't be shown on regular TV, then I wouldn't be putting it in my videos. There's going to come a day when I truly believe they're going to clamp down on this. Well, as we all know, they've really clamped down on a lot of that stuff. So unfortunately, the guy that got me into YouTube, he's not, his channel's not real successful. He's right now and he's trying, he does the Patreon thing. And that's something that just Patreon is for people that do it. 
that's fine. But to me, man, I don't know. It's just like, I don't want to charge a subscription, you know? I mean, when I started this, I wanted YouTube to pay for it all. I wanted AdSense to pay for it all. And unfortunately, the last few years, I make less now than I made three years ago. So you can see that's going down. And that's why now it's, you know, I tell people I'm no different than, I hate to give plugs, but I'm no different than Hot Rod Magazine or anybody else. And that, you know, we need advertisers and we go out and we publicize your business and um, we do it in an entertaining way. But at the end of the day, when I'm showing a cool car, it gets a hundred thousand views on it. Well, that views, that's all about XY shop. You know, it's all about their build. So now to be honest with you, it was a lot funner when I wasn't getting paid than it is now, because now, now it's a real job. I don't mean to, I'm, and I hope people don't take this the wrong way because I'm, I don't want to come across as complaining because I'm very blessed. I'm more blessed than I deserve to be, but you have to understand the whole, celebrity side of it comes with its own set of pain in the butts too, where everybody thinks, well, it'd be great if everybody knew you. <laughs> that is until you get to a position when you don't want anybody to know you. And then of course, you know, everybody knows you. So there's the whole fan side of it. And, um, you know, there's a lot to it. And I know we want to stay on the car thing, but I can promise you that there's a lot of people that are listening right now that are like, tell us how to do it. You know what I'm saying? Just tell us the secret. So for not getting off subject too long, I'm going to disappoint you, but I am going to give you the secret to all this. And that is get up every day and make videos. There was a day when I was, there was a time when I was publishing seven videos a week, one every day. I did that for probably two years. You're talking about every day coming up with a video. And then we cut back to five days a week. And now our publishing schedule is Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. The type of video I make now is a lot more in-depth than I made before as far as editing and all that. And I think that's the other thing people don't understand is that um, for all those YouTube get rich stories you hear, I mean, that's one out of like 20,000 people, you know, um, and even having 100 million, 100 million views, you have to understand. We started this conversation off by talking about how I was struggling to get a 2005 Yukon built, right? A budget built. So, I mean, if I was making a lot of money, we wouldn't be trying to work deals with everybody on the planet trying to get this thing built. So, again, if anybody's interested in what it takes to become successful on YouTube, it doesn't take expensive equipment. It doesn't take any more than just hard work, just like anything else in life. Find your passion because you're going to have to do it for free and you're going to have to do it when you don't want to do it. And even when you do get paid, you're not going to feel like you're getting compensated enough. So find something that you love to do and then just go make videos about it and keep making videos about it. We just got a deal with Facebook about three months ago, probably about three months ago. Yeah, okay. And so, you know, I mean, I bring that up to bring up the fact that, you know, you got Instagram out there, which Will's always beating me over the head about Instagram. Get on Instagram, you know, and he did the same thing about Facebook. And, you know, I used to tell him and I know that it came across a little bit cocky, but I would tell him I was like, when Facebook starts paying then I'll start posting to Facebook. And so I say the same thing about Instagram today. When Instagram starts paying, then I'll start posting to Instagram. And that's what it's become now is. People call me a YouTube channel, but really we're a production company and that we lease our videos. Uh, we license our videos. Um, you'll see my clips showing up in other videos. Some of them have been paid. Some of them get copyright infringement claims filed against them. But <laughs> either way, that's the whole other side of this is you got to imagine I've got a product that I really can't keep an eye on and then people can steal it and put it up as their own. And the worst part about it is, is that if they go six months before they get caught, they've made six months worth of income off my video and nobody's going to get that money back for me or anything. They just, 
they roll on, they take the video down, they kept their money, they're on their way. So I really get frustrated with some of these websites out there, these sharing sites, because they don't really put any work into it. They just take everybody's work and kind of put it in one place, you know, and just like you builders would be frustrated at somebody that, you know, didn't build a car, but shows up at a car show talking about how they build it. I kind of feel the same way about a lot of the share sites in that they're just people with money. They're not even, they didn't even build the site. They're probably going to India to have the site built. And then they're taking my content or other people's content and putting it on that site. So at the end of the day, they've done nothing. And um, why that's important to me is because you got to understand there's only so many hours in a day. So if somebody's watching my video on their channel and they're getting paid, that took three minutes that they're not going to have time that maybe come over and check one of my videos out. Or maybe they're a fan of mine and they got stuck over there. So, um, you know, there's this whole side to it. And I am not, again, I'm not trying to complain because I am I got a good life, but there's a whole side to it. It's not all peach pies and hot rods, guys. You know, there's a whole business side to it. And you can tell the people that get up every day and this is what they do for a living and versus the people that just shoot a video you ever see the guy walking around with the gopro on a stick and he's just going everywhere at a car show and this and that and you know he's probably doing a live facebook feed that's the guy that's not making any money off this stuff you know i mean now you go and see the dude walking around that's taking it serious and he's setting up interviews and he's taking right camera angles if he's making money or not he's doing it right and he's trying so again i guess the point with this is that even with YouTube, understand that you've got to take it serious. It ain't, it's nothing. To, hey, football's a game, but not everybody plays in the NFL. You know, we all play football as kids, but some of us fell out in grasshopper, peewee, high school, college, you know, we, till they got to the pros. And it's the same way with this is that you have people out there that they'll make one or two videos and then nothing happens. They didn't get a ton of fans. They didn't make a lot of money and they quit. And, um, no, I will. I'm here to tell you. No, I went. I went two years for. I got the first million views. And here's a little trivia question. Anybody want to guess what the first video? The video that really put Scotty DTV on the map. I'm sure y'all have seen it. You seen a twin turbocharged, supercharged '69 Camaro? It's got plumbing running everywhere. If they fall asleep on me, will I think so? Anyway, oh, I, I, hey, I'm, I'm hey, sorry. hey, hey, hey. I, I thought you were. I thought you were. Here. You were asking the listeners, and well, I, I can't I was, hear their. I can't hear their answer. Was, so if I you was, would just fill in for the fill in for the listener for me. Oh yeah, 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 I, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. All right, there you go. That's all I want to see. I knew y'all seen it. I, I I haven't seen that one yet. I haven't seen that one yet. Is it good? Is it good? It's got fifteen point five million views on it. But here's here's the story behind that. It was up six months and had 4,500 views on it. That's the other thing people don't understand. People think that a viral video goes viral right out of the gate. It does not. You look at any viral video, it's a year, year and a half old. Any of them. You see them on Facebook anywhere. They're a year, year and a half old. And the reason being is there is like, I don't know how many thousands of hours of YouTube videos being uploaded every day. And somehow that cream has got to rise to the top. So those viral videos are the cream, but it takes a year, year and a half for those videos to sort themselves out and get to the point where analytics sees it as a hit video and starts plugging it. Because at the end of the day, you can have 5 million subscribers on YouTube. If Google's not playing ball with you, you ain't getting no views. So that's the other thing. Papa Google really runs the world and um, he sure runs YouTube. So again, I tell everybody I, it's, it's really. I think everybody should go out and find what makes them happy because it's the truth. If you can, if you can get up and do what you love, you don't work a day in your life, but you have to figure out a way to make a living doing that. 
What you've said is exactly true, and I hear it time and time again. And I listened to another podcast with a guy named Mark Green, uh, former marketing vice president for Griot's Garage. And I've mentioned him before. And he comments a lot, and I've heard the guy say it before, that that's the way Adam Carolla works. You get up in the morning when your feet hit the ground, they don't stop moving until you collapse in bed that night. You keep hustling, you keep moving. And while you've been doing this much longer than us three have been doing the podcast, people ask me about the podcast all the time. And, you know, when, you know, we've got to be making a whole bunch of money. No, we're doing it. It's a hobby. So we don't really aggressively, you know, go after money or marketing. You know, we have a Patreon. We get a few bucks a month from it. It helps helps a little bit, uh, and we're appreciative of our, our patrons, but we don't bring it up every week and things like that. And it's taken us, you know, we, we don't get tremendous amounts of, of listeners, but we're getting into the decent download numbers. It's respectable. Uh, we're probably getting close to that top, you know, 60, 65% of podcasts, you know, there's a whole bunch more that do a lot worse than us, but we're not in that top 50% yet. Figuring it out, figuring the stride, you know, some days we get a couple hundred downloads and other days eh, you go, we only got zero. <laughs> but it's staying out there and it's, I can tell when we're a little bit more active on social media, the download numbers are up. When uh, Will posts, or download numbers are up. When... You know, we forget to do something or when an algorithm with Facebook changes and I haven't corrected quick enough, the download numbers are down and it's it's staying and working. And like you said, with the YouTube stuff, and that's one reason I avoid video is the amount of editing that goes there. You know, we do this. We record for an hour on the podcast, hour and 15 I probably do a two to three to one conversion, which means for every one minute of finished audio, I've got two to three minutes into producing it, uh, not including the recording time. You know, it's not just we sit down, record for an hour and release it. I sit down, edit it, take out the ums and ahs and the things that maybe we shouldn't have said or uh, look for a couple of words that shouldn't have been in there. And you do the same, I'm sure, at, you know, at the car shows and you know, this year we hope to expand the podcast and looking for some media passes. And as Will's suggestion was a couple of weeks ago, I've got my name in the hat to be notified when the media passes uh, get released for SEMA. And we'll, we'll make a shot at them. I don't know if we'll have the listenership and be able to get into SEMA, but we're going to try that. And I've got a couple other shows we're working that way. So, Scott, let me tell you, if you can get to SEMA, you've reached the, the, the epitome, my brother. I mean, because I, I can't tell you when I reach the epitome because it's on a down low, but I can tell you that it, SEMA is its own world. But I will also tell you, too, they've got the best media center out of any car show. So they are very fair. They're interested in having people talk about their show. So as serious as you all take this, if you make a real serious run at um, SEMA Media Passes, I'm sure that they'll get they'll get uh, issued to you. Um, they're going to ask for a couple examples of your podcast, but other than that, you guys are clean. You keep it on it. You have noticeable. You got Will on the show, and I'm sure they know Big Oak and also. But if you can't, I tell people there's only two shows that are guaranteed that they will see me show up at, no matter what they do to me, and that is Detroit and SEMA, because those are the two shows that if you're going to be in this custom world, you got to be at. If you're not at those two shows, then you're not serious about this. 
because that's where the, that's where the cool is at. It's going to come. And the cool thing about Detroit is it's true unveil. As long as they don't screw that up. I say it's a true unveil. Eh, not so much every year, but it's supposed to be a true unveil. And that's what's cool about that. <laughs> we, Whoa, we went off Will. on that last week, didn't we? <laughs> hey, Will, I, how do you feel about that? <laughs> Will seems to be very happy the, with the judging and the media releases and the way things happen with certain shows. <laughs> yeah, we're not going there again. I've been, I've been there. I've been in a truck with him at night talking to him. So, <laughs> now we, you know, it, it, the thing is, here's the thing, and I don't, I don't care. So I'll, I'll say it. Okay, the thing is, is that Detroit is more than the Michigan Hot Rods show. Okay, Detroit, the the Riddler. I didn't know Don Riddler, and I put this out on Facebook. I didn't know Don Riddler. Okay, so Don Riddler, I'm sure he was a swell guy, and obviously a lot of people like him. And I'm not here to, to back talk him. What I am saying though is. Not so much he means anything to me, is that his name being on that award means something to me. And when you hear that a car was either a grade eight or a Riddler winner, you know without a doubt that's going to be a car that you're going to want to see. That's going to be some really high-end work. It's going to probably be one of the nicest customs you'll see all year. And my problem is, is that's what they're screwing up because Detroit is the only true unveil show that we have on the planet. And that's what makes Detroit, Detroit, because otherwise who's going to fight the ice and cold to go up there in February. I mean, Detroit's not a place you want to visit in February. And so the only reason you're going to be there is to see the latest of the greatest, the coolest custom cars and the first opportunity to see them. And I really hope they get their act together and they straighten that out. And I know social media has changed things, but at the end of the day, you can't, I mean, what basically what you have people going is it's too hard. It's too hard. Hey, look, that's what makes it the Riddler Award is it is hard. It's not a walk in a park. You know, it's not a world of wheels um, and no insult to world of wheels, but it's not your average war, world of wheels award. I mean, people spend $3 million to get a trophy and a check for 10 grand. What does that tell you about it? You know, I mean, there's got to be more to it than just the trophy and the check. And that's the prestige to say that you won the, you won the Riddler. And um, so, again, I hope that I hope they don't screw it up. It's one of my favorite shows. But I do encourage you to stick with the SEMA deal because, yeah, it's it's a it's a week that you will not soon forget. There's no way to put SEMA into words, you know, and I videotape it. So, I mean, I you can go watch the videos, but you still can't you can't appreciate what it's like to walk into SEMA and to see all that you see. And year after year after year, you know, it's always there's always wow there. And that's the same thing with Detroit. And that's how I succeed. I find the wow. And um, Detroit's the same way. And you always get those high-end cars. So anyways, that's I hate to interrupt you there. But there was one other thing I wanted to bring up, too. If you guys will let me get this out of my head. When you were talking about Barrett Jackson and cars and the prices of them, I noticed, okay, so for the longest time, matching number cars brought all the money. Okay, so that kind of makes sense, right? Is you got a car that's original, it's 50, 60 years old, it's like new, and, you know, maybe there's only a few of them, just that or the other thing. And so that kind of makes sense on why you'd spend the money on uh, a, a matching numbers car. But if you'll watch Barrett Jackson, you can have a matching numbers car go right behind a crate motor car. That crate motor car usually brings two times as much as that matching numbers car brings anymore. And the only thing I can think of is the generation, the money that's coming into this industry right now doesn't want the responsibility of that numbers matching car. You know what I'm saying? It's almost like getting a high end piece of art that you can't let people touch. You can't let people breathe. These guys are, you know, back in the day, they would roll cars into Detroit with no internals in them. 
right? They wouldn't start if you had a battery and gas. They wouldn't start because there's no pistons in them. You know, it just looked finished. Now they have to drive them. They have to start them. And your clients, you go to you go to a Columbus Good Guys Street Machine uh, competition of the year and go and look and see how they're driving these cars on the autocross track now. You know, I mean, they'll take a half a million dollar car and go do loops in it. You know, six, seven years ago, that was unheard of. There's no way your client would let you do that. Nowadays, some clients look at it and go, well, if you wreck it, you'll fix it. So go give it hell, you know. And so I see that's how our industry is changing, too. This this new money that's coming in is not about putting these things in a garage. They'll spend a million dollars on a car. They don't care. They just want to drive it when it's done. And that's kind of hard on the on the on the shops because, you know, these guys can't build these kind of cars and then turn them loose to their clients the day they're done. They got to get a year to show them to make all this work for everybody. No, no, ain't that crazy? We that's one of the exact things we talked about last week too. You know, we kind of talked, or maybe it was a couple of weeks ago. We talked about what's 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 coming. You know, what's what's in the future, and you know, and it's it's building these hind cars and going and driving because they're unique. Them. They're unique. You know, what I'm saying even though it, it seems crazy, but even though there's like maybe five of those matching number cars left on the planet. There's only one dart. And to the guy that's got a million dollars to spend on a car, guess what? He doesn't want one of five. He wants one of one. He wants to be the only dude that's got one. And that's what that's what it's about now is um because again, a lot of these a lot of the money that's in this industry now is not 40-year-old car money. Grew up around cars, this and that. Most of these people have to be straightened out on the fact that, hey, you're going to spend a million dollars on a car. Now, don't think you're going to be able to get in it and drive it around the world and run it into a brick wall and it won't get wrecked because that's what they think, right? They think like, look at the reliability I get from Mercedes Benz for 150 grand. So if I give this guy a half a million dollars, I should get like five times the reliability as I am getting it with this Mercedes Benz. But see, that's not what our industry is about. It's not about reliability. It's about cool. And um, like I said, I think that the industry has changed to where this we got a lot of young money in the, in the business now, and um, these young cats they want to drive them. They they want them to be as bad to the bone, but they want to drive them, and um, I think that's good. <laughs> you know, I know scary. I know you you're talking hot rods here, Scotty, but you know I think and and we mentioned it as as Will said in in a couple podcasts ago. But the same thing, and and as you know from the pre-show, I'm I'm kind of an early car guy, you know, brass brass era classic. Right it it is exactly the same in that world as well, because a lot of my friends that are my age or younger, the young generation coming into that uh, collecting field, we're all about driving them. We're not about having the big pole barn just full of our collection and maybe we put it on a trailer and take it to the concours one weekend and then take it back, put it all of my friends and and everyone I know that's buying the early cars right now. We're getting them to get them, get them running, get them up to par and get them out on the roads. And I've got a bunch of buddies that, that, you know, drive them to and from work on every nice day they can. And I'll tell you what, as, as soon as mine are on the road and, and finished and up and running and, good to go, then I'm going to be driving them back and forth to work every day too, because that's what I want to do with them. I don't want them to just sit there and look at them. I want to take them out. I want to get the experience. I want to give the other people that I know and people that are just on the side of the road or driving down the road, the experience of seeing one of these things 
out on the road and really understanding what the heck it is. So, I mean, I think you're, you're dead on that, you know, the next generation is the generation of, we want to use these things. We want to experience them. And when they break, we're going to figure out how to fix them. Yeah, no. And, and the thing is, I think the other thing you have too, is like I said, there's more money and more talent in the industry than there has been. Well, that talent is young talent. So when the young money meets up with the young talent, then the young talent doesn't say, well, I don't know how to build you a car you can drive. Now you take an old school hot rodder, one of these High-end hot riders have been around forever, one, two, or three Riddlers, won every award in the world. Anytime they show up, they win an award. They can't really, they don't know how to build a car you can drive. You know what I'm saying? Because if you're going to build one to drive versus one that just got to go off in a trailer and get set up on stances at a show, that's a totally different type of build. You don't have to be so concerned about, will it really stop? You know, will it leak oil? Will it shift right? You know, all that stuff. You don't have to worry about it because it's never going to be found out. And now, so when you got, when they'd get a client going, oh, I want to drive this thing. Well, they'd turn the client away. They'd go find somebody that didn't want to drive one because, again, I'm not so sure that they thought these things could be driven. But then you got to the younger people. You start getting, you know, there is nothing you can come to Mr. Posey with. And he'll be like, no, you can't do that. Uh, he'll be like, hell yeah. <laughs> now, whether you can afford it or not, <laughs> that, that's, a, that's a different story. He didn't say that about you could afford it. But there's, I've never come up with an idea. I've come up with ideas he's vetoed and told me, no, we can't do that. We won't do that. But it's not like we couldn't do that. It's just we wouldn't want to do that. So, again, I think that with the younger, the younger people and, and, you know, again, I'm 52. So I look at I look at you all as young. And I think part of my job is to try to get you all people of your age group interested in this custom car world, you know, because I hate to say this, but I, I'd say it in, in mixed company. These old timers that started NHRA, um, yeah, NS, NSRA, NSRA, those type of old, uh, old sanctioning bodies, um, they don't get it. They don't, they don't understand. They understand driving them, but they don't understand building them to this level, you know, and they don't really make room for them. I don't even know why I was going down there. I don't, I don't necessarily want to slam the NSRA, but again, Oh, I know why. But two, with a lot of those old dudes, I find that, you know, if a patina pickup truck parks next to them, well, they snub that guy because they don't have no paint on it, you know, and they don't understand, you know what? Patina's cool, dude. I mean, you know, that's a $150,000 truck. It just looks like a $10,000 truck, but hey, it's got a chassis under it. It's got, you know, a, a motor. It's got, you know, whatever. It's just got a nice interior in it. It just looks that way. I say kind of like that, uh, Big Oak Garage, uh, build that you released this week on the old uh, 76 Ford F100. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And you know what? The thing about that is, is what's funny is that these high-end hot rods will draw the attention as far as views because the thumbnail is cool. But things like that truck are the ones that my followers all the time really love because they're just like, and you, and you go back and you read those comments. And the thing that they love about that truck the most is it's going to get driven. All the time. That's what I want, Scotty. I want to, I want something I can just get in and drive, you know? And now little do they know, I don't know exact, I have no idea what the exact figure is, but that ain't, that's not a $20,000 truck, guys. You know, I mean, that, it, again, it, it looks like it, but hey, when it looks like it, there's really no chance of it being stolen, right? Now, if it was, if it looked like it was a half million dollar truck and you sat it at Walmart, chances are it wouldn't be there when you got back. But that thing, hey, you park it at Burger King, you leave the windows down. Nobody even knows what it is. So there's a whole, you know, and you don't have to worry about washing it as much. And, you know, 
people in this time, oops, I'm sorry. People in this time, I think, don't want the responsibility of all that. They want fun. They don't want the pain in the butt. You talk to old hot rodders, what do they talk about? Every time I go to start it, the battery's dead. It's got an oil leak, this and that. And these dudes, they don't want to mess with that, man. They just want, look, I want to go push the button and it start. And then I want to drive down to the car show and nobody's got one like me. What's that going to cost me? That's what I want. And I'm trying to make sure that we're trying to do what we can to make this younger generation, even younger than you guys, because really I'm trying to reach the adolescents and the teenagers. You know, by your age, you've already formed your opinions. You know what you like and you don't like. But how do we get them kids coming to the car show? And it, I hate to say it, it's not by putting out a 1949 Chevrolet or, a you know, a 43 Ford. That's just... You know, those cars, they don't mean anything. They don't mean anything to me, and I'm 52. How are they going to mean anything to somebody that's in their 30s or somebody that's in their teens? But you can take a you can take a Chevelle, you know, like a 67 Chevelle street machine and slam it to the ground, make it pound the ground. Hey, look, you don't have to understand anything about that besides I don't know what it is, but it sure is cool. And that's, you know, that's what we have to get out there is that it's not just – Car shows anymore are not just about standing in a parking lot with a lawn chair next to your car. You know, you got autocross, you got tours, you got all kinds of things. Um, that's and I think we, it's good. So that's what we keep trying to, you know, that's one of the reasons this podcast exists is to try to get the youth involved. Because as I've said on the podcast before, eventually we're going to want to sell our cars to somebody else. And we need to have a generation that's ready to buy them. Uh, it's kind of a joke, but it's kind of serious. And, it's, I think, the, the, the maker movement, the hands-on experience. I think that's why people like these, you know, I don't want to say rat rods, but these patinaed restorations or patina rods or cars that they can use. Um, we've, we're also a generation that grew up with air conditioning. There's air conditioning in the schools and things like that. So we want air conditioning in our cars. And we're also a busy generation. So in defense of, you know, there's people, there is a market for the, the brass era. And we discussed, I think, last week that we might see a slight downturn in the brass era cars for a while because we're becoming a new generation of car collectors and we're not ready to acquire the brass era. But we want cars that we can get in and run and drive because we have limited time anymore in this social media have to work 60 hours a week and take care of the family. We have three hours on a Saturday that we can go use our our fun car, our classic car, and we want something that has a modern drivetrain in it and fuel injection And because we don't want to get up at 9 o'clock on a Saturday and go out to go to Cars and Coffee and then got to fiddle with a car for four and a half hours because something's off on it. We, we want the thing to run, and I alluded... Uh, last week's episode that, you know, my stepfather just traded a 64 and a half Mustang for a Cadillac CTS coupe because I he won't admit it, but I think that was it, is the Mustang's not something he could drive every day. It's not something he really felt comfortable in the rain. He really enjoyed my mom's Cadillac and the, the turbo in it and the acceleration. And, you know, my mom's Cadillac, it's an AT, it was an ATS or is an ATS. It was faster than the Mustang, and the Mustang's a 289 V8, you know, with a four-barrel carburetor, and, you know, it, it's a whole different era, and that's what that's what people want is 
And I know that's what I want in a street ride, and it's one reason I don't have an older classic anymore. I want something I can get in, turn the key, go, and it fits my schedule. And I don't think I'm you, unique hey, in it. You, you got the perfect one. Just send it on down here. Which one do you want, my 62 or my uh, 18 Transit Connect? <laughs> no, I'll take the 62. Yeah, bring it on. Send him both of them. He'll make the Transit Connect the tow vehicle. Now, That's right. That's right. Unfortunately, he's going to send me a bill. <laughs> we t- And on our typical no driving gloves, we've rotated all the way back around to the beginning of the show. There it is right there. It's still standing. Hey, that's a that's a deal for both vehicles right there. If no, that's that's, his, that's the quote. That's a deal. Well, hey, that, he, he's supposed to be getting that, me a quote, that, quote on some wheels for the Transit Connect, and that, then we'll see where that's what he there. that's what he owes before they even get here. <laughs> <laughs> he's showing a bill for thirteen thousand seven hundred and eighty-two dollars and two cents, I believe. <laughs> Ninety-two uh, cents. Ninety-two. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's just a getting it in the door. <laughs> that's just for your first consultation. Yeah, that, that's not a deposit or anything. That's for no, you. no, that's non-refundable. <laughs> that's, that's non-refundable. That's, that's for just, just wasting that's, his time. That's just that's for just us talking about it tonight. That's right. That's Yeah. Well. Oh. Uh, I, I think we've had an enjoyable time with Scotty tonight, and I know he hangs out with Will a little bit, and um, they work together quite often, so we hope to get Scotty back on the show. I'm, we're well over our hour time, go, normal time. I've got to plug next week's show a little bit because I want some li- I want listener feedback and listener questions for next week's show. Uh, we're going to have a representative that's a national sales rep for Evans Waterless Coolant on. And I want to hear some questions, because when I had this guy in my shop, I kind of drilled him on some really tough questions and, you know, why we don't use the product and why why should we use the product? You know, I, I see Jay Leno plug it, but no offense, but just because Jay uses it doesn't mean it'll work for me. You know, I don't have a windmill powering my shop. I don't have, you know, massive 3D printers. I do have a 3D printer, but, you know, it's, I, I don't take publicity at its word and that's what we want to do we want to have some hard questions in that for evans waterless coolant uh he answered my questions and we'll cover some of those and i know Derek's going to have some and uh hopefully will can join us because it's the day before he leaves for um barrett jackson and the sale of the dart so if you happen to have a spare 100 150 200 more money in your pocket more more money burning a hole in your pocket, the better for Will. Uh, and you're not in Scottsdale. But go ahead, get you on. You will be able to bid online. It's Barrett Jackson, so you can bid online. And you can bid on phone, too. I mean, he's got That's right. He, That's, he, yeah. he, he's got telephones, so <laughs> whatever you want to do to do for that. But I, I want your no questions. No money, no problems. Send us some questions. <laughs> Email at nodrivinggloves at gmail.com. Um, Facebook or Instagram, we'll put some posts up, a couple of Evans posts and that. Yeah, they're not paying us to be on the show. It's not going to be an advertisement. We, you know, we don't do paid advertising. Uh, if you do want to pay us, we can consider that. But this isn't. This yeah, I was is going to say, I'll do it. I'll do all the paid <laughs> advertising you guys don't do. <laughs> you send them my way. I'm not too shy to take it. 
we just I, I think it's an interesting product and it needs to be explained a little bit more and a lot of people have some questions on it so if you have some questions uh shoot us a line and uh we'll we'll talk to you about them i spent over an hour today on the phone with their pr department you know working on how we're how we're going to do the show and kind of told them this is what we do on the show and you know we'll we're not going to badmouth them, but we're going to give them some hard, hard-hitting questions. We hope so. Uh, join us next well, week for that episode. But I'd like to add something too about questions and stuff. Um, getting Scotty on—I know we've been talking about it for over a year—but um, getting Scotty on is really not that difficult. So hey, hey, don't make it sound like it's easy. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, I'm somebody. It's hard to get—it's hard to get me on. Don't listen to him. Uh, well, hey. If you got questions for Scotty, yes, man, either either hit Scotty up on his Facebook page, or or send them to us through through No Driving Gloves. All the things. Hey, let John me let me just make him. a public statement. Anytime No Driving Gloves wants me, I'll. I mean, if y'all get a bunch of questions, you want me to come back in a month or six weeks and sit down with you again, I'll do it. I mean, this 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 man sitting next to me is like my brother, and I like I tell him there's no animosity between us. It ain't like I'm afraid he's going to be a bigger star than me or anything like that. I want him to be. He's younger than me. I want him to be. So um, anything I can help you all out with, I, I sure want to do it. And um, so yeah, if you, I doubt you will, <laughs> but you should. If you should get a response and um, you say, hey, you know what? There's some people that had some questions. Hey, just let me know anytime I'm available. I'll sure come down here and. and spend an hour with you i've enjoyed talking to both y'all and like i said of course will's both y'all damn john well yeah Derek. well, derrick's over there <laughs> well i don't know if john's really awake because 90 percent of the time his eyes have been asleep so i don't know if he's even paying attention to me. see you all were worried that i couldn't talk and i was like i'll tell you like i told nsra in louisville hey you just turn on the camera i'll take it from there so you just put a mic in front of me and i, I don't need y'all to talk you sit over there and sleep i'm good <laughs> Yeah, every, everybody's going to enjoy this show because it's not all my voice and not all Derek and I's academics. Uh, I think you, you've yeah. added a, a great touch of humor. Thought, we, we might have to look at replacing a host with uh, Scotty, I think. See you later. <laughs> Which, I, well, actually, I think that was uh, referring to uh, the the uh, curator, academic level, boring guy over here in Kentucky. <laughs> I, I, I took the hint, John. Thanks, thanks. I thought that's what tonight was all about, though. Was now, as, me as, getting to take a break. As I was saying that, I'm going. I'm probably the one that needs to step back. <laughs> <laughs> but. I think that's I think that's going to be a wrap on the episode tonight. We look forward to your questions for next week. If you've got questions, like Will said, for Scotty, just let us know. Like I say, Facebook, Instagram, no driving gloves, uh, no driving gloves at gmail dot com. Uh, that that'll reach us. And with that, I'm going to say good night. See ya. I'm, I'm going to say real quick that uh, Scotty answered my question, which, you know, uh, now I know that in a year and a half when this episode finally goes viral, that's when no driving gloves will make it. Well, then when, let me know if that happens now, because we'll have to work something out. Okay. I mean, when I say, oh, that's one thing, but viral, that's a whole different, there, there's payment needed at viral.
So no, I, I'm, hey, I hope I hope every one of your episodes go viral. And I'll be honest with you guys. Like I said, don't get discouraged. Keep doing what you're doing, and eventually people are going to catch on. You've got you've got a good thing going here, and um, you're doing it for the right reasons. And I think that's part of the reason I have the success I have is I never did this to become famous or rich. I just did it because I got cool ass. Oops, I got cool cars everywhere in Knoxville, and, and not everybody has that. So. Um, that's all I wanted to do is to show people some cool cars and I make gorilla food. Like I cook, you know, just grab a bunch of crap out of the counter and start mixing it together and make it. So that's really all I wanted to do. And the passion turned into what I'm in today. So again, I encourage y'all, you guys have got a good show going. Just, just keep doing what you're doing. Keep plugging. Eventually the fans will come and, uh, you'll be on your way. Well, that's it. Later. See ya.